Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Adam Rakonin, and today we're discussing Trump, COVID, and the near-term future of America. As I'm sure you all know, the big news right now is that President Trump and First Lady Melania have been diagnosed with COVID-19, along with a number of other high-ranking government officials like Chris Christie, Kellyanne Conway, Hope Hicks, Mike Lee, and Tom Tillis. And the first thing I want to say is that I hope the president, the first lady, and everyone who is battling COVID-19 around the country and across the world gets well and has a full, speedy recovery. It's really not a good thing to wish ill on anyone who's sick, just like how it's not a good thing to wish or say bad things about the dead. So a lot of the gleeful happiness I see on the left about Trump's diagnosis, I think is just really bad form. So whatever you think about the president, we really, you know, we wish him the best. And I believe that's true even if he and his administration downplayed the virus, which looks like they did, even if they failed to follow protocols at the Rose Garden, at the debate, and even if they knowingly exposed themselves and didn't really say when they actually knew Trump had the virus. So all of that aside, the point of today's episode is to talk about how this diagnosis is going to affect the debates, the election, the COVID-19 response, and the economy. Let's start with how this is going to affect the debates. So going into the debates, the polling showed that it was 51% pro-Biden, 43% pro-Trump. So Biden did have a substantial lead going into the debates, and that lead even widened after the first debate. So the polling shows that now it's 53% support for Biden and only 39% support for Trump. So there is now a double-digit margin between Biden and Trump after the first debate. Now, I would say that the first debate, the reason that it had that effect on polling is because there was a trap that Biden could have fallen into, which is sounding senile and like he's too old to govern. And there was a trap that Trump could have fallen into, which is sounding unhinged and someone who's kind of disconnected from reality. And my sense is that Biden did not fall into that trap, meaning he actually sounded pretty good. He didn't have any major gaffes or anything that was you know, a totally viral meme-worthy moment in a, in a negative sense. Whereas Trump did fall into the trap of seeming unhinged and a little bit disconnected from reality. And it's interesting how much the dynamic is different in this debate than when Trump was debating Hillary Clinton. When Hillary was the presumptive nominee, Trump really positioned himself as a rebel outsider who was willing to say what no one else was willing to say. And maybe he could go in there and throw a wrench in the system and maybe improve some things. But what's different now is that Trump is the incumbent. He's the one in power. So I think playing that rebel card and, you know, go in and break things and bust up the swamp, I don't think that really works as well when you're already the one in power. The other thing is that Biden is a very likable guy. Whatever you think about his ability to govern, people like Biden. They'd want to have a beer with him. They think he's a good person. He's dealt with a tremendous amount of emotional turmoil in his own life with his, his first wife dying and his son dying. So I don't think it plays as well also when Trump is mean to Biden in the same way that it played when he was mean to Hillary. So especially in the part of the debate where Trump brought up Biden's son and the fact that he had a drug problem and Biden had the perfect response where he came back and said, look, like many Americans, my son has been battling drug addiction. He's better now and I'm so proud of him. And so I think it really did not go Trump's way in the first debate. 
and it'd be interesting to see what would play out in future debates. However, now the question is, will there even be future debates now that Trump has COVID? So the next debate is scheduled for October 15th, but it's quite likely that won't happen now. What will happen is the vice presidential debate on October 7th, coming up really soon. And that, of course, is between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. And it's interesting that this debate now has so much more importance because Mike Pence now, worst scenario if Trump succumbs to COVID, he may be the Republican nominee. And also, if Biden was elected, he would be the oldest president in history. So Kamala Harris, it's also important for her to make the case that she could take up the mantle of leadership and be the president if it comes to that. So I would say, as far as the debates, it is too soon to tell. My guess is that the next debate for October 15th will not happen. And who's to say whether the third one will happen? It could go either way. But the vice presidential debate now has this new importance. So we'll be watching that very closely. And that may actually change what the polling says about people supporting the Republican nominee or the Democratic nominee. Now let's talk about how this diagnosis is going to affect the election itself. From my view, there's a few different scenarios that could play out depending on how Trump's illness plays out. So the first scenario, let's consider the possibility that Trump makes a full recovery within a week and he comes out stronger and healthier than ever. That would really play into his whole brand of being strong, being dominant, always winning, and the whole way that he downplayed COVID throughout the administration would actually make sense if he himself overcame COVID and then showed how the country can also overcome it. Now, it's, we'll have to see what happens. It does look like Trump doesn't have an asymptomatic case. He has a symptomatic case. He was on oxygen at one point. He's been getting lots of treatments, including antibody treatment and other experimental trials. And they only really do that when it's somewhat serious. So I don't think it's likely that Trump, you know, one week from now will be 100%. But it could be that by election day, he's 100%. And another interesting possibility is, let's say through this experimental treatment, which is called Regeneron, basically what they do is they take the antibodies that someone produces when they have successfully uh, fended off the virus, and they basically just inject that intravenously into you. So now your own body has the COVID antibodies. One interesting thing that might happen is if this treatment works well on Trump and they're able to scale it, it could be a true vaccine that could really change the game when it comes to COVID. The other possible scenario that I see is that maybe Trump doesn't come back fully healthy and maybe it really does take a toll on him. And it's not like he'll end up dying, but let's say it really is tough for him and he never gets to fully 100%. And because of that, he has somewhat of a change of heart where now he is dealing with COVID a little bit more seriously. Like for instance, the other day he tweeted love in all caps. And he also tweeted about the importance of getting COVID economic relief. And this is a somewhat of a different tune than we've heard him in the past uh, talk about. So it could be that he gets the sympathy vote because now it shows that Trump, even though he's a strong man, now he's a little bit more well-rounded. He has some emotional appeal, some sympathy. I don't know how much I believe in that scenario, but I, I hear a lot of pundits talking about the sympathy vote angle. So I wanted to present it here. 
Another possible angle is that because strength and dominance is so deeply ingrained in Trump's brand, that once he loses that strength and dominance, it would almost be like a Dothraki falling off his horse. And all the other Dothraki can no longer follow a leader who can't even ride on his own horse. And so, you know, these are all possibilities. It's so soon, so, so early to tell what's going to happen. But my assessment is that Biden is very much in the lead right now. And if the election was today, he would win. However, a lot can change in a few weeks. And there have been so many curveballs that have come in 2020 so far that I really don't think we can rule anything out. Let's talk about how this will affect the COVID-19 response from the government. One thing that's important to consider is that we are going into fall, which then leads to winter, and that is flu season. That's when viruses tend to thrive. And it's because they can live more on cold climates than they can in hot climates. So it is a little bit worrisome when you look at the COVID charts. You can see that there have been spikes around the U.S., New York City may need to shut down again because they've exceeded their 3% testing positive rate. Other countries are seeing some of the biggest spikes they've had. So there's no guarantee that the worst of COVID is behind us. It could be that the second bigger wave or the third wave, depending on how you measure it, is ahead of us still. So the, how we respond to COVID is still important. It's not all behind us. And there are a couple ways this could play out. So like we said, one way is, as unlikely as it sounds, Trump could have a change of heart and maybe by experiencing COVID himself, he now takes it more seriously. And that may actually be the right strategic move because you can't really deny a virus being important or worth, worth talking about if you yourself were totally put out of your campaign because of it. So I could see potentially Trump going stronger in the direction of pushing for assistance for people affected by the virus economically. He could really push the drug companies to accelerate a vaccine quickly. And that may work or not. If it works, that would be phenomenal. And we can head off another really bad swelling up the, of the virus. Or it might not work. And maybe he pushes the vaccine too quickly. It's not ready. And, you know, that would be a bad scenario for sure. Let's talk about how this diagnosis may affect the economy. Since the announcement was made that the president has COVID-19, markets are slightly down, but not by much. It really has been fairly stable. And I think that really shows that the markets are somewhat diverged from the outcome of the president's health. Whether Trump recovers fully or doesn't recover fully, I think the markets will continue to be somewhat stable. Now, it's another situation if both Trump and Biden succumb to the virus or both of them are incapable on Election Day. If that happens, I could see the markets really having an upheaval. Um, however, I think that's fairly unlikely that both of them will have health issues between now and November 3rd. So I feel fairly confident that the economy will be OK, regardless of what happens with Trump's diagnosis. And in general, I'm seeing so much entrepreneurial spirit around the economy. And I think COVID was a really good wake up call where there's so many new businesses being built. People are changing their behaviors. The creator economy is absolutely flourishing. And even though there are some troubling things happening in the financial world, like that, you know, we're printing so many dollars that the dollar is getting devalued potentially, 
the Fed is making changes in the right direction. So the Fed is now one of the biggest holders of Bitcoin in the world. Banks are now allowed to hold Bitcoin and the whole financial system is really starting to adapt and change. So I don't think there's going to be some major economic downturn between now and November. I think we are actually on the cusp of some incredible productivity growth. So I am bullish on the near term future of America. Now let's get into the future scenarios. Let's talk about the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. The worst case scenario for the country and the world would be if Trump and Biden both have a health crisis. Fortunately, Biden got tested recently and it showed that he was negative. So right now, even though Trump may have had the virus at the debate, it looks like because of the precautions, Biden is okay for now. But if both of the nominees have a serious health crisis, then we move into the 25th Amendment territory where you look at vice presidents becoming president, you possibly look at the Speaker of the House becoming president, and that's just never a great scenario. I don't think it's an existential scenario because we have protocols for if those things occur, but it wouldn't be great for the confidence in our government, in our economy, and in the overall system. So a total vacuum of leadership, if both of them get sick, would be the worst case scenario in my mind. Another bad scenario would be if, let's say Trump fully recovers, but then he uses that to continue to sort of downplay the virus and say, see, you know, that wasn't so bad. I can beat it. We can beat it. And then that leads to a false sense of confidence that leads to a massive second wave as we go into fall and winter, which is prime flu season. Let's talk about the best case scenario. Best case scenario. The best case scenario in my mind is that not only do we develop a COVID-19 vaccine, possibly with this Regeneron antibody treatment, but that also changes the way we address viruses in the future. So all viral infections, hypothetically, could be dealt with by developing the antibodies for them. And especially if you can create those antibodies in a lab rather than having to harvest them from a real person who recovered from the virus, that would be a major game changer. You know, we've had antibiotic treatments for a while, but we haven't had something similar for viruses. So if on the off chance that this Trump diagnosis and how it relates to what's going on in the pharmaceutical industry and all of these companies vying to be the COVID-19 vaccine developer, that could lead to a breakthrough in vaccine treatment. So that's my best case scenario. And if we vaccinate everyone, or at least enough people to get herd immunity, we beat COVID, then I could see the economy roaring more than it ever has before. And really, it is similar to the Roaring Twenties. So we hear about the Roaring Twenties, and that was a period right after World War I and right after the Spanish flu, where people lived life to the fullest like they hadn't before. And you can see why this is. When you've gone through so much turmoil, like war and a pandemic, you just don't live your life the same way that you did before that occurred. So I think, let's say in 2021, we've beaten COVID, we would live our life in a very different way than we did in 2019. And that can bring about tremendous change in a positive way, where people rethink their 
values, they rethink what's important to them, they do what they love, they take bigger risks to do things that they're passionate about and that they think are important for the future. And I'm seeing a lot of that in the startup community right now. So I also believe there's more money and willpower looking to fund big game-changing ideas now than ever before. So if you were ever thinking about starting some company, launching a product, launching a services business, doing a nonprofit, whatever it is that you're passionate about and that you care about, I truly believe there has never been a better time to start it than right now. Let's talk about the most likely scenario. Most likely scenario. There are two philosophies on how historians will view 2020. One philosophy is that 2020 is one of the craziest years ever and I saw one person tweet that I specialize in the year 2020 between October 1st and October 3rd. So this is really the notion that, wow, 2020 is the craziest year ever. You know, we're going to look back on 2020 and think, what the hell was that? There was all this crazy stuff going on. And that to me is kind of similar to the quote, end of history viewpoint, which is that if we can just get past a certain amount of chaos, then we will be in this nice Goldilocks zone where everything will be fine and we'll be back to our, our old, boring, peaceful reality. That's one philosophy. The other philosophy is that what if 2020 is the least crazy year yet going forward? And this is really in line with Moore's law, exponential change and productivity growth. And I have to say, I to me, the latter one sounds closer to the truth. I feel like we get caught in this trap always where we think, oh, this year was so crazy. I can't wait until next year. 2021 will finally be my year. And that seems to me more like wishful thinking than lining up with the actual facts. We are seeing so much change in the geopolitical realm with China rising as a power and America wondering what its position really should be in the world. We're seeing a lot of technological changes. We're seeing societal shifts and we're seeing shifts with people's ability to do work and be productive. So I think we're in for a lot more change in the next few years, or at least a similar amount of change that we had experienced in 2020. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Change can be good, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So when we take the long view of history, you can really see how many trends eventually merge and they meet somewhere in the middle. So if you look at a capitalistic society, over time it'll become more and more socialist, just like how America has, where we introduce welfare programs and other social safety nets. And a socialist economy, likewise, will over time become more capitalist and they'll introduce more freedoms. So on many different aspects of society, we see this merging and meeting in the middle. And I think that is what will eventually happen in America, even with these massive political divides. So it doesn't have to be that we're always as divided as we are right now. It may be that we're in this stage of growing pains and eventually maybe we will develop antibodies against fake news and manipulative media and we'll be more savvy absorbers of information. And I love this tweet from James Altucher that he put out the other day where he said, I'm alt-center meaning he wants radical change in our country, but not on any sort of partisan divide. So he wants to improve the way we fi finance our elections. He wants to improve efficiencies in the government. He wants to get rid of a lot of 
bureaucratic inefficiencies and middlemen. So he wants to generally improve the system, but not in a way where you're tipping the balance way to the left or way to the right. Conservatism is supposed to be about preserving the traditions that we've developed thus far, the ones that have gotten us to where we are. Whereas progressivism is meant to be developing new traditions that may help out some people who have not gotten the best deal out of the system. So they're both important. In order for us to have progress, we need this push and pull where progressives are pulling society into the future, but conservatives are pulling us back so that we don't go too fast or too far from what's worked for us in the past. So they're both important. And I think part of the trap is seeing one side as evil and the other side as good. Uh, Tim Urban calls this the Disney world view of politics. So just remember that whoever you support, the person on the other team is just as much of a real person as you are. And in a certain extent, we didn't choose whether we are innately a progressive person or a conservative person. So I think the important thing is that we each do what we can so that the system functions properly. And we really look at the issues from a policy by policy basis rather than just from a whose team is supporting it basis. Thank you for listening. I wish you the very best. And I'll see you next time. The past, the present, and the future. If you enjoy thinking about the future as much as we do, we invite you to join the HTF community. Simply go to hencethefuture.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and add your email address next to the button that says, Enter the Void. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at hencethefuture. And, most importantly, we encourage you to please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. Our team reads and appreciates every single review. Thank you again for listening to today's episode and for staying curious, and we'll see you next week.